open up your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 133. Abran sus Biblias al libro de Salmos, Salmo 133. There are some people in the back that just fell off their chair when I speak like that. Why am I breathing into this thing? Robert, can you, can you tell me if I'm just crooked or something? Or is it this? Alright, so. A song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of, of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Lord, your word is marvelous. Please open our hearts and our minds, our ears to hear and find comfort in it. To spur us on and apply your truth with enthusiasm and zeal for our good, our pleasure, and your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Trigger warning. I'm about to say something very controversial, especially in this church. Thanksgiving is the best holiday. There I said it. It's shots fired. And I told you they put in the water boy. I might be wrong, but I look forward to, to proving you differently. Um, so I know that there are some people in this church who see Christmas as the best holiday. They, they have... They started decorating in July, and they have a stack of candy canes somewhere in their house just in case their holly jollies start fading off. Um, or, or you might not think that. You might think that Arbor Day is your is your favorite holiday, or, or maybe you know you might get your 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 um, excitement from from National Jams and Jellies Day. Or the best one that I found is National Paperclip Day. I'm not kidding. It's a real thing. Look it up. It's next to National Nothing Day. Um, so, I'll tell you why I think Thanksgiving is, in fact, the best holiday. On this day, this Thursday coming up, and I'm excited that it's this coming week, life is moving at a thousand miles an hour. All the troubles and worries of the world just come and come to a complete stop. We stop. We gather for a meal together. And even the most hardened atheist has to admit that there are gifts, there are blessings that they've received. There are thousands of them. Not coming from inside of us, but from somewhere else. It gives us a perspective that there are good and precious gifts not because of something that we did to earn them, but because they're just that, they're gifts. And the aromas of, of multiple dishes fill the room, inviting us to anticipate something good. We brought everybody together. We got your friends, your family, your crazy Uncle Bruno. No, 
Don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. And we look around the table and you think to yourself, man, these are, these are my people. And you delight in it and you look and you say, I, I'm feeling this, this nostalgic, you know, warm fuzzies inside. And just as you start feeling that, someone, probably Bruno, says something controversial. Like, I don't know, Christmas is the best holiday or something like that. Um, and then all pandemonium ensues. And there's disunity. But what happens? The goodness keeps coming. We get, we get all of these, these green bean casseroles and mac and cheese and sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top and turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. Pie. And soon, the overwhelming goodness of all of this meal makes us realize that everything is right again. Now, your Thanksgiving might look entirely different. You may be having tamales y pozole. Or, if you're lucky, you've substituted turkey, because, come on, turkey, with a lechon, you know, a whole pig. But, no matter what your Thanksgiving looks like, if you're on the outside, and you are, you are hearing this and saying, man, like, I, I don't, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I want to say to you, Come on in. Come on into this experience. We'll sit you next to Bruno and you get to enjoy it with us. And no matter how you celebrate it, the reason I bring this up is not just because this is my favorite holiday, but it says, our text says this morning, it is good when brothers, when the family of God dwells together in unity. And we know from experience though, don't we? That it's not always easy. But this morning I hope that we can see that it's always worth it. So that's my point this morning. And let me, let me, let me summarize it to say, unity in the family of God is always good. Not always easy, but always worth it. And to illustrate this, I'd like to have three points that will guide us as a roadmap this morning. And because Again, Thanksgiving. I'm going to serve it to you as a meal. So first, the side dishes. The light in unity. Secondly, the main course. Receive the excessive blessing of unity. And number three, pie. Fight for unity. The light in unity. Receive the blessing of unity. Fight for unity. Let's look down at our text on verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Why is unity good? It is good because it's the way it ought to be. In fact, God demands it. You're probably sick of hearing it by now. Over the last few Sundays, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians where we've Observe how disparate people from different cultures and backgrounds have been brought together as God's family. We've heard how in Ephesians 2, 19-22, we've been made fellow citizens, members of one household built into one temple. 
a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. You, Christian, have become a once-dead-now-alive citizen, saint, family member, stone-building temple house person. We've heard how the church, this church, is what God is doing in the world today. And God calls it good. Unity is right. It's the right thing. It's our, it's our duty, as we heard last week, to maintain the spirit of the bond of peace, the unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. God has declared us one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So you say, got it, check. Unity is good. We totally agree on that. We have it clear in our minds, and we're going to put it down in our statement of faith. And then we resolve to get it done. Go make it happen. And what happens? We rally, and then we fizzle out. We push ourselves, and we don't really feel like it. We work at it, but it feels like work. So you think to yourself, or at least I think to myself, what, what am I missing? And that's where this next word in the psalm really shines. Take a look. It says, how good and pleasant it is. The idea is that it's enjoyable. That it's full of joy. It is pleasing, soul-satisfying. It's a real delight. Or to put it in the context of Thanksgiving, green beans, Brussels sprouts, and sweet potatoes are good for you. You should have them. You should eat them. But put some garlic and butter on top of those green beans. Roast up those Brussels sprouts with bacon and cranberries and plop those marshmallows on top of that sweet potato. And man, <laughs> you basically have my kids' favorite dishes. And I, I don't have to tell my kids when, I, when we serve it that way, well, you know, you should eat it. it it's, it's, your, it's your duty. It's your job. No, they're licking it off their plate. And seriously, don't do that. It's disgusting. Don't, please don't. Uh, I know, you're going to try. Well, in the same way, unity among the church is the way it ought to be. But it's also what we want. God requires it, yes. But it's deeply satisfying. It's our duty and our delight. And friends, I got good news for you. God has joined us together. And he hasn't forgotten the marshmallows. So, that's the thing about this, is that in all good things, these are blessings. They're always good. Blessings are always good. They're always pleasant. We want more blessing, but how good? How pleasant. Well, that's what, what point two uh, is, which is receive the excessive blessing of unity. So verse two, unity is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of, of, Herman, of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is odd imagery for us Westerners. We got oil and beards and Mountain Dew. It sounds just like my college dorm. Come on, that was funny. I really tried on that one. But what is really going on here? Oil, this, this is anointing oil. In the Old Testament, a special mixture uh, of, of rare herbs uh, and, and different seasons were brought together to anoint, make holy. The priest who would offer sacrifice and lead the congregation before Yahweh, the God of Israel. The same God that has brought us near and has given us an inheritance with these same saints. Aaron was the first priest and would represent the people as they came before God, making atonement for sins on their behalf. In Exodus 29, God instructs Moses to anoint the head of the priest, Aaron, with precious oil made from a mixture of aromatic and rare ingredients. That would signify to the world that they were set apart, made holy, to enter into the presence of God. And this is where our passage is really surprising because the oil was so special, so precious, that to anoint, a dab would do you. It was, you didn't have to use a lot. It was just a little bit. And it makes me think of, of the time that Jesus in his earthly ministry, when, when right before his death, a woman breaks an alabaster flask full of this very oil. And he pours it on, her, or she pours it on his head. Again, this is expensive and rare in preparation to do what he needed to do. Enter into the presence of God representing us, his people, bringing us in unity back to God. And how did the, how did the disciples react? Did they go, wow, that's, that's amazing. No, no, they were horrified. Because even today, perfume oil is extremely precious. The world's most famous perfumer, Chanel, sells their perfume at, get this, $4,200 an ounce. That's three times more expensive than gold. And here, in this passage, we're told that unity is like oil poured over the head of Aaron. It runs down his head, all the way to his collar. In fact, the ESV translates it as collar, but the word is opening of his robes. In the Spanish translation, it says, que desciende hasta el borde de sus vestiduras. That's the skirt, the, the, the seam of his robes. In other words, he's soaked from head to toe. So kids, I'm not telling you to do this. Please don't do this, for real. But if at Thanksgiving dinner, you stood up and poured the entire pot of gravy on your head, that's the image that you have to have in mind. And every mom in here is going, I hate you. Uh, please don't uh, instruct my children ever again, gladly. Um, and that's not coming out. And that's exactly right. It seeps in. 
It's excessive. It's over the top. It soaks the cloth, the skin, the hair. It gets everywhere. And that's what unity is like in the church. It's also fragrant. The oil, not the gravy, it it would emit a delicious, impossible-to-ignore aroma that filled every room. It's impossible to contain a smell like that. The aroma wafting across the congregation, filling the nostrils and sticking to the clothes of everybody in that presence. Just like the good and pleasant aroma of the Thanksgiving meal, isn't it? It pours out of the kitchen, fills the house, even pours out into the street. So that when somebody walks by, they go, that smells good. Dwelling in unity is pouring precious perfume oil over our great high priest, Jesus. It puts all eyes on him. It draws attention to him. He is in our midst. (laughs) The, The reason we're doing this is because, as we just sang, God dwells with us. And it fills us. It fills our lungs and clings to us. And we go to our neighborhood and to our neighbors and they see our unity and they see the filling that we have from this unity and they say, man, that smells good. We get another picture as well. Just as the oil flows down the dew of of Hermon, Israel's tallest and greenest mountain, falls on the mountains of Zion. That is the place where the people of God dwell in unity. For there, for here in this church, among you and among all of the churches that gather, the Lord has commanded his blessing. Descending from above, being poured out on us, life forevermore. Dew comes from above, bringing refreshment to a parched land. It restores and gives life. And we know this in Southern California. What happens when there's a little bit of rain? Our brown mountains or hills, they turn green, full of lush vegetation, flowers. And if if it appears to be a miracle, it's because it is. In the same way, Unity brings us refreshment. The blessing of God is what refreshes us in this context. When we gather on Sunday morning or in small groups over dinner or a cup of coffee, we experience a restoration that points us to something greater. Here, in this experience, God has commanded, did you catch that? Commanded his blessing. He's brought us together. He's given us one spirit, one mind. In other words, unity. That is excessively good, excessively pleasing, excessively fragrant, excessively restorative and refreshing. And this is all his doing. He's commanding this, that we may experience that blessing here and now, but also forevermore. The fact is, 
it can be Thanksgiving every day. We're going to experience this. Kyle mentioned at the beginning. It is my favorite day of the week. It is my favorite thing to be here with you all. And when I don't have this, I miss it. Why? Because it's like Thanksgiving dinner for me. And I hope you experience that same thing. So now you're full, right? The dishes have been picked up. You've taken a nap, hopefully. No children have interrupted you. Hint, hint, please. Seriously, Thursday. You've gone for a refreshing walk. Maybe watch some sports ball. And it's time for more goodness. Pie. So you've experienced all this blessing. You've tasted the goodness and you think you've had enough. But somehow, you still want more. Just like pie. It's, it's beyond belief. And that's why as Christians, we're eager to defend, to fight for, to maintain that unity. So point three, fight for unity. In his magnum opus, that is a fancy word for saying his best work, Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky, so the, arc, the work is Brothers Karamazov, and if you haven't read it, highly encouraged, he writes one of my favorite quotes. One of his characters, a wise and faithful Christian, admits to something. He says, I love mankind, but I am amazed at myself. The more I love mankind in general, the less I love people in particular. And isn't it true? We might have big idea of what the church looks like or what humanity are in our, in our neighborhood. And we, we, we might be able to even die for them. But individuals? Well, they annoy us. They aggravate us. And as Kyle said a few weeks back, unity does not mean uniformity. The fact of the matter is, families, our family, your family, is messy. We're going to disagree. And so the question this morning is, for the sake of unity, unity, will we disagree well? How do you react when someone aggravates you? Someone says something that's just plain wrong or annoys the living daylights out of you. Sometimes you might think they're doing it on purpose. What do you do? Are you tempted to, to lash out and put down and retaliate? And in the process, destroying the unity? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that this church has that temptation. I think you do unity well. I don't think you're putting anybody down. But I do think that we do have a temptation to avoid conflict. We can be tempted to think that our Christian calling is, you are saved, you are loved, you are given power and dominion and strength and authority over demons and angels, principalities. Now go, therefore, and be a doormat. Let everyone walk all over you as long as you don't ruffle any feathers. Now that sure doesn't sound like Jesus. It doesn't sound like the apostles. And it doesn't sound like a unified church. Both options are wrong. Both options are unloving because they 
destroy unity. Fortunately, we're not the first people to have this kind of struggle. Paul, writing to a young church in Rome, book of Romans, knew that they were going to have these types of struggles. Paul's letter echoes Jesus' sermon on the mount. And Paul's giving us a, a PowerPoint presentation in Romans 12, 9 through 21. He points out 16 ways that we can strive for unity. And I'm not going to give you all 16 ways, but let me, let me bring that to your attention. Let me, let me give you some of the categories that, that Paul brings up in, in Romans 12. In fact, if you have your Bible, why don't, why don't you just turn there? A couple of flips over. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight or your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all of. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to God. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome. Do not overcome evil. <laughs> Sorry. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So lots, lots of stuff there. But let, let's, let's focus on a few things. Make our foundation love, right? Let love be genuine. This means don't pretend to love. Actually, love. Is there someone in the church you're finding hard to love? Examine your heart. Figure out exactly what it is that repulses you. Pray for them. Confess your sin to them. And forgive each other. It's hard work, yes. But the blessing of unity is always worth it. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be wise with this one. The middle of small groups is probably not the best place for this. But when a brother is sinning, 
when they are stuck in something they might not even be aware of, call them out. Don't tolerate evil. Destroy it. Do it gently. But don't flinch. Have courage because you're defending what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh man, this is good. The Bible literally says, be competitive about out-honoring each other. In your small groups, before groups, before and after church, whenever you see each other, be quick to point out the evidence of grace in their life. And not just to them privately, but point it out to others. Say, hey, I saw Jim doing this. And Robert showed up early, taking somebody else's spot. And did you hear about children's ministry? Point out, honor each other to each other. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Sing, sing loudly, sing praises to God, even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Sing. Preach the gospel to one another in song. Sign up to serve and actually show up. Help tear, up, tear down, set up chairs. Volunteer for children's ministry as much as you might not like to. And I, I certainly have a struggle with that one. You show up because it creates unity. It allows for all of us to live as a family together. And that gives us pleasure. Rejoice in hope, be patient in your relation. It's hard to be patient, isn't it? When someone at men's and women's meeting it just keeps asking for prayer for the same exact thing month in, month out for years, be patient. Keep praying for that person. And point them to the hope that we have. Because we know that God's excessive blessing controls us. Whether in this life or in eternity, God will answer that prayer. Be constant in prayer. Let's be quick to pray, church. When somebody tells you that they are going through something, struggling through something, don't just say, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll be praying for you, brother. And then you forget. Rather, let's do this. I want to see a lot of this. Can I pray for you now? Oh, man, if you say that to somebody, hey, can I pray for you right now? See if that doesn't make you feel more closely united with the blessing of God to just pour down upon that unity. Contribute to the needs and show hospitality. Well, church, you are really good at this. You are great and don't stop, please. But there is an implication here. And that implication is that you have needs. Make those needs known to each other, right? Don't, don't deprive us from blessing you. You might say, man, my life is messy. It's a disaster. I, don't, I really don't want to share this with anybody else, but, but please do. Because that allows us to then speak the truth, rejoice with you. 
when God answers the prayers and to bring you into the fold. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Tell each other the ways that God has answered prayers. Celebrate the victories. When you undergo loss, don't do it alone. We may not be able to change anything, right? Somebody tells us, man, I, I have lost something dear to me. And, and there's nothing I can do about it. As your brother, I can't, I can't help you, but, but I can point you to the hope that we have in the gospel. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Man, how many arguments have you had? Or, or been turned off by somebody who has, has their own opinion, right? Rather, I'd say, disagree well. Don't just drop it and say, okay, well, whatever, that's what you think. Go to the Bible. Man, Jim, and I'm sad that he's sick because I was thinking of him this morning as I was writing this. And I thought, there are so many, so many theological components, so many theological ideas that we disagree on. And every time I bring it up, he always does this. He goes, hmm. And then he opens his Bible. And he says, what about that? Go to God's word when you disagree, when you have a different opinion. When somebody says something and it's like, oh, I don't know about that, find it. And here's the deal. We've been arguing as a church for thousands of years over, over concepts. We agree on the big things, but there's a lot of smaller things that we can have disagreements on. But it's the act of actually opening up your Bible and working out those details that motivates us, that brings us to a greater appreciation of the diversity of opinion. Ah, it's in that act. I mean, trust me, nothing will get you to study your Bible harder than when you're trying to prove something. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't hold the grudge. Oh man, if, if I can just remind us of this. If somebody's hurt you, forgive them. But really forgive them. Don't, don't latch onto that because Christ has forgiven us and he does not hold a grudge. And there are a million of other ways that we can manifest this love, this blessing that Christ has given us. And just like Thanksgiving dinner, we keep going back for seconds and thirds, not out of obligation, compulsion, or duty, but because of the delight that we find when we dwell together. Keep this front and center as we, as a church, expect this blessing. So I'm going to leave you with, with three thoughts as we wrap up. There's something I love more than Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving leftovers. And my daughter, Alia, also, because she, she loves this dish, the Brussels sprouts with bacon and cranberries. And she takes it to school. And this is Brussels sprouts. And so her friends, the minute she opens up that container and you get that fart smell out of it, like, yes, he said fart in the sermon. 
<laughs> is it seems off-putting, but Alia loves it, and she will just tell everybody how wonderful it is. And so her friend Sophia finally said, "Okay, you love it so much. Let me try it." And she did. And ever since then, every, about every week, she asked her, "Was it Thanksgiving at your house last night?" Because she knows. That's coming, and that's going to be shared. So church, be filled. Delight in the gathering. Delight in small groups. Delight in being with each other. But don't forget the leftovers. Take that aroma, that sweet perfume with you, and share it with your neighbors. Because sharing what we love is so easy. We're called to go out. Make disciples of all nations. But when we delight in this, when it is our joy to share it, then it becomes easy. It doesn't become a chore. Make that your call this week. Go out and share what you love. And if you're on the outside, you're that walker by who walks by the church or walks by the, the house that's that's oozing out wonderful smells. And you say, man, it smells good. I, I want some of that. But you don't know how to get access to that. You've not been invited. Well, friend, here's what I have to say to you. Here's what Jesus has to say to you. Come in. Come eat. Consider yourself part of the family. No, you don't deserve it. You don't have an invitation. None of us did. But Christ died so that you could have a seat at that table, at his table. And if that's you today, man, don't leave. Don't leave without talking to me. Don't leave without talking to Kyle or the person next to you. <laughs> We're so excited to share this with you. Finally, what if you're that believer who's saying, yeah, I know this is good. I'm not really that hungry. I'm good at eating my, my frozen on the outside lava in the center hot pocket. You keep your distance. You stay home. You don't gather. You're not dwelling with the family. You, my friend, are Bruno. To you I say, come on in. Sit down. And just try, just try this fresh bread roll with butter. You let, the, you let the, the warm dough, the smell, the aroma fill you just a little bit. Let's call it an appetizer. And that's the thing about appetizers, isn't it? They give you appetite. They make you hungry for more. So if you felt that you are, you are outside and you don't feel like being with us, just just. Go, just take that extra step to come in and you will want more. So I'm getting at this. When you do that, when you come in, when we join together, you have a 100% satisfaction guarantee that God will allow us to then have this transformative power of grace in our lives. Friends, my, my family, how good 
and pleasant it is to be with you this morning. Let's delight in the excessive blessing of this family and invite our neighbors to enjoy it with us. And then, so that we can one day sing, as we will sing in a little bit, that the whole world will see that the Redeemer has come, for he dwells in the presence of his people. Let's pray. Father, how good and pleasant it is. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to be with my friends. It's wonderful to behold your word. Because you dwell in our presence. Because you have brought us here. And you have loved us. Oh, we sang this a little bit ago, Father, but we are called to feast forever on a love beyond our time, glorious Father, Son, and Spirit, now with men are intertwined. Oh, Lord, may this be our prayer as we celebrate Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.